everybody, J.J. Cooper here, Baseball America Top 100 Prospects Podcast. We've got Jeff Ponce, we've got Carlos Colazzo, soon we'll have Josh Norris as well. And we're going to dive in because today's Top 100 Day at Baseball America, something we've been doing, I'll be honest, probably longer than many of you listening to this have been alive because uh, I can't say that myself, but, but, uh, but, okay, Losa, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. Carlos. <laughs> First top hundred comes out preseason nineteen ninety. Yeah, uh, I can what honestly was, what say was that. What's happening in the world of Carlos? <laughs> I was about four years, uh, four years into the future at that point. It was ninety four for me. So I, the top one hundred yes, is older so than I am. The top hundred is older than you. Not older than me, but older than you. Uh, and uh, Jeff, I don't think it's older than you either. But uh, no, I, I would be the same age as my eight-year-old son when the first top 100 came out. So, so that puts things in perspective. <laughs> you know, I, on the other hand, um, was holding on to my King Griffey Jr. rookie cards, going, "He's gonna be a you know a star," uh, and was already you know pretty deep into prospect land and all that at the time because I'm old. But we have a new top hundred out today, and. Very notably, well, I, and I guess almost kind of routinely at this point, but I don't ever want to make it sound like it's routine that we have an Oriole at number one because for the third straight year, and we're not talking about the third straight year for an Orioles prospect, we're talking the third straight year for a different Orioles prospect. We have an Orioles prospect number one, shortstop slash second baseman Jackson Holiday, uh, the number one pick in the draft. Just not that long ago, Carlos. It feels like it was an hour ago, but he leaps from that to number one on the Baseball America Top 100. And I think, Carlos, you're kind of a, probably a fitting person to kind of be on here and talk about this, which is, is like, wow, how far he's come so quickly. But I say that, and it's like, realistically, when we are talking about we put ETAs on these players, and he has an ETA of 2024 because it would be shocking if he does not graduate in 2024, just basically a year and a half after he was drafted out of high school. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty remarkable how quickly he has moved through the minors and performed. I think he, it just speaks to the skills he has offensively, his approach at the plate, his contact ability, the strength gains he's seen. And it's pretty... It's not really weird, but with Jackson Holiday, I mean, I remember prior to his draft year, the summer entering his final year in high school, he was kind of the pick for a lot of scouts as, hey, this guy with a good offseason, he could take a real jump. If you remember back to that summer, he was not a consensus top of the class player. He was kind of a second round supplemental first round type. Um, and then he got a lot stronger. He got a lot more physical. He absolutely lit it up throughout the spring of his draft year. He shot up the board. I think we ranked him number three overall that year, but he was certainly in the elite tier. Um, the Orioles have done a phenomenal job picking at the top of the draft. Obviously, it's maybe it's a little bit easier to pick at the, t or it, it's easier to hit on your players if you're picking at the top as consistently as the Orioles, but you have to give the Orioles a lot of credit. Um, a lot of people in that class thought Drew Jones was the top player in the class. The Orioles went with Jackson Holiday, and the gap between the two now is quite a bit more than what we'd have expected on draft day for that respective draft class. So props to the Orioles, props to Jackson Holiday. Um, we've long been really excited to see what he can do, and it's it's going to be scary what this Orioles infield is going to look like in the next few years. Drew Jones, on the other hand, not on this top 100. Very injury-plagued year last year. We'll have to see in 2024 what he can do, but that is a, a pretty wide gap when you say on one hand you have the number one prospect and someone else who's not in the hundred. But Jeff, the other thing with this is, is what Jackson Holiday's already shown us like is impressive. But when you consider his age, when you consider how advanced kind of his hitting ability is, how excited should Orioles fans be about what, or prospect fans in general, be about what Jackson Holiday can be? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, with the returns that they've seen from some of the prospects that have been highly touted that have come up over the last couple of years, the expectations are fairly high. The, the bar is fairly high when you have a guy like Adley Rushman who's come up. We saw what Grayson Rodriguez did last year, et cetera. Um, but from a, from a pure hitting standpoint, just in the batter's box, 
this is the most advanced guy that they've had, you know, throughout this sort of rebuild and run. Um, rarely ever gets beaten in zone. You know, I had the opportunity to see him early in the season with high A um, and was just, you know, easily the best player on the field with other first rounders <laughs> from the college side in the same draft that were, you know, uh, on the same field as him and it wasn't close. Um, and I think the other thing too is it's not just the ability to polish the plate the plate discipline, which are all outstanding. He's also a plus runner. You can get plus plus run times on him as well. He's a really astute baseball player. When you sit on a series with Jackson Holly, you see him do just a lot of smart things, smart base running moves. He's not the most um, athletic fielder at shortstop. I think we all think he probably moves to second base long-term, um, but he makes the plays that he should, you know, the, t- the timing and, and those sort of things. Um, are still there. You know, I, I don't think there's any question where it's like, yeah, he's on a shortstop, but nobody's saying this guy isn't going to be, you know, a solid to maybe even a plus defender at second base. It's possible. Um, I think the other thing that I take away from holiday too, we had an opportunity, JJ, uh, you and myself to sit down with Jackson and chat with him a little bit at the prospect pad. And he's just a really mature kid. I think back to when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, and, you know, you would think you were talking to a 25, 26-year-old, you know, seasoned professional. He's been around the game, you know, it's his third-generation family, you know, in, in, a, in high-level baseball. So he's been around it, you know. Um, acting like you've been there before isn't going to be an issue with Jackson Holiday. He's a guy that's going to show up. He's not going to have maturity issues. He's going to fit right into a big league clubhouse. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, yeah, it's tough to put a marker on that. We don't put a grade on those sort of things. But they're all factors into why guys – produce at the major league level and are successful and those players that, you know, maybe bust. And and I just don't see that with a guy like holiday because of just all the polish, not only in the game, but just also, you know, the persona, et cetera. The thing that also kind of stands out with that to me is as we mentioned, like he's right now, like if you said, is he going to be the Orioles shortstop? I would say no because of his arm more than anything. And, but knowing Jackson holiday, knowing how, Carlos talked about it, how he improved his hitting ability between the summer of his draft year and his high school season, and he made a giant leap. I also don't want to say that's where his arm is now. Arms are something you can improve. If if you told me that Jackson Holiday showed up to spring training and his arm was a grade better than it was last year, because I think he knows that his arm was kind of probably the weakest tool in his toolbox last year. You could see how he plays defense, that he was kind of covering for it and trying to to make sure that it wasn't uh, a hindrance. Mm -hmm. But if you told me, it's not crazy, Carlos, to me to to think that maybe that does take a step up. And if it does, because we are still talking about such a young player, uh, again, the sky is kind of the limit. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that just because Jackson Holiday is the number one prospect right now, he is still going to be just 20 years old. I think one of the most exciting things about Jackson Holiday is that projection that you still have on him physically. I'll be very curious to see what he looks like after another offseason. He is not even close to his physical maturity. I think back to the difference in body type we saw with Bobby Witt Jr. a few years after he was in high school. It was 21, 22 age season for Bobby Wood Jr. And you started to see a lot of physicality that he just didn't have a chance to to get. He's still growing. And and I think Jackson Holiday is the same way. He still has a lot of room to fill out. I think there is a lot of power upside here that we maybe don't talk about Jackson Holiday's power a lot now. It really wouldn't surprise me if he added a half grade, a grade of power in the future uh, in the same way with arm. Like if you're getting a lot stronger, you're filling into your frame, a lot of these tools can jump even more. So I think the foundation of that hitting ability that you guys are talking about and maybe amplifying it in the future with strength gains is is just a really exciting overall prospect. That's one of the things that I remember talking to, to Matt Blood, the now scouting director, now a little bit of everything for the Earth, but the farm director last year, and him talking about how excited you know they are as an organization because when a player has this kind of foundation at such a young age, he's younger we're going to be when we talk about draft prospects in this year's draft class. Holiday's younger than pretty much the college draftees. He is probably going to be in the big leagues before those college draftees get drafted. But when you have that kind of 
extremely solid foundation as far as drawing walks, as far as working counts, as far as being able to hit the ball to all fields, as far as knowing kind of already a little bit of when to, you know, okay, this is a, I'm now in the situation to turn on my power, which you saw when you watch him in person, his at, his, his at bat is different when it's 00 versus when it's 30 or it's 02. But he also shows he's pretty comfortable. He doesn't get down 02 very often, but if he does, he has the skills to get out of that as well. But when you put all that together and you've mastered that, which for many players is a lifelong uh, effort, and it's like, well, I'll never really get there, but someday I will. Well, that then gives you that ability. You, The parts that are everyone else is having to work so hard just to get to, you already have, which then gives you that ability. It's like, okay, maybe I can take it up to another level. When you think of, and again, we're not saying that he's going to be the next Ronald Acuna or the next, you know, take your pick. But like with Ronald Acuna, it always stood out. This guy was so good offensively, but he had weaknesses. He had flaws. And then he fixed those flaws. You look at what Juan Soto did because Juan Soto was such an advanced hitter when he came up at that age. And then you turn around and boom, he's he's just found a, a, another gear because you can do that. But Jeff, this was not a year. This was a year where I don't think we had a ton of debate about number one, but this is a year that I would say there were multiple players who we could comfortably have number one. Like there are years where you have a number one. And by the time you get to number two, you're like, no. And there are other years. We had the year where we had, I think it was Acuna, Shoei Otani, Fernando Tatis Jr. Where you're like, yes, (laughs) take your pick. You're good. But Jeff, so with this group at the top of this list, are there other players that you could construct a case for number one? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I actually think it's funny. We'll talk about this later in terms of maybe a lack of depth in the overall top 100. I feel like the top 10, 11, 12, you got a bunch of 70, 65 grade guys here, 60 medium on Jordan Lawler. Um, you got a lot of guys in the top five that I think all have cases, depending upon what your preference is, what your flavor is. I think there's a reasonable case for Junior Cameron Arrow just based on how unique his combination of contact and plus plus power are, how quickly he moved and ascended to the major leagues. And I would be pretty shocked if he doesn't see, you know, 500 at bats uh, this year with the Rays. I guess you never know. Um, Jackson Churio obviously signed a, a huge deal before the season. Um, he's a guy that should be up with the Brewers this year. And I think has a great case to potentially be number one as well. Maybe not as polished as Holiday, more explosive, um, you know, just a different flashier player, maybe more in that Acuna sort of mold. I'm a big Wyatt Langford guy. I think Dylan Cruz certainly has, um, you know, that star, regular all-star sort of caliber ceiling. Um, And then you look at Carter and Langford, two Rangers prospects where, Internally, there was a lot of debate on who was number one. And the reporting came with Carter. Makes sense. You know, <laughs> the guy was contributing to a World Series team in the World Series. Um, Not contributing, batting three hole. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Batting three hole. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of really good players at the top of this list. And we may look back in a couple of years and be like, wow, we had, we had five or six 70s there, like legitimate 70 caliber players. And I don't think I'm over my ski saying any of those six guys could be there. I think it does drop off a little bit when you're talking about Waller, Salas, Skeens, but even Skeens, Skeens is another guy that, you know, maybe I'm lower than the group on, but there's plenty of smart people there that might tell you he's a top three prospect in the game. And, and Carlos, part, I think a lot of that we have, it's not all the draft, but a lot of that is to be thanks to the fact that we've had last year was an epic draft class. We feel at the top of the class. Mm-hmm. Um, the year before, again, Jackson Holiday has proven to be every bit what you hope to see in a number one prospect. Um, the thing that jumps out with me that is, is like we've been having this Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford debate that went on all through the draft season. And here we are. I, I, I feel like we're, we're going to have that debate. And then I think we're going to have another debate that also shows up pretty quickly in the top uh, 20, which is then you have the high school version which is the Max Clark 
versus Walker Jenkins debate. Mm. And do you think these are like, when are we going to have, I mean, are we going to wait till 2035 to have answers on these or, you know, what, what, what you're thinking? Uh, I hope, hopefully we'll get clarity a little bit sooner than that, but I do think it's, it's nice to have this trio of college players in the top 10. I was kind of, as we were going throughout the draft process, hearing about how good this class was, just looking at the tool set of guys like Lankford and Cruz, seeing how historic Paul Skeens was as a college pitcher in this class. It makes sense. I think this top 100, we'll get into the group of talent overall later, but it really needed some infusion of talent, the 2023 draft class. Uh, at least at the time of the draft, we'll see in five, 10 years what it actually pans out to be. But it was the best draft I've covered in terms of the perception of the class on draft day. It's funny. I think throughout the spring in draft season, I kept telling people, hey, Wyatt Langford is a lot closer to Dylan Cruz than, than you might think. I think at the time, Cruz was more famous. He had the pedigree going back to high school. He was obviously the face of a really uh, monstrous LSU team. And now I think it's almost flipped with their pro debuts. I have to remind people, hey, Dylan Cruz was ranked as the number one player in this class. He He's pretty good. Wyatt Langford's debut was phenomenal. But I, I think whichever order you have these guys could be fine it's really like jeff was saying depending on your your own preferences and player types your maybe philosophy um could lean you one direction or, or the other for those guys and then you mentioned walker jenkins and max clark i just think it's either of those guys if they were in the 2024 draft class they'd probably be the number one prospect in the class at this point so it just speaks to the quality and quantity of talent in that draft class and again if you prefer like a locked in defensive profile and the the pure hitting ability and speed, maybe you go Max Clark. If you want to take a shot on a little bit more power, maybe a a guy who might move to a corner, but that doesn't bother you. Walker Jenkins could be your guy. Like either of these guys could be in the sort of conversation we're having with Chorio and Caminero and Carter and Langford a year from now, and it wouldn't be surprising at all. I think even three months from now, when we're talking about our midseason list, Los, like I look at it and I feel like that what we're going to see, like you, you think of with Jackson holiday, right. And you think of that. That's one of the things I think is the overarching theme of this maybe, which is things do move quicker. Now we have fewer levels and players are moved more aggressively. Uh, you know, 1990 when we did the, again, the first top hundred, I don't think you saw generally draftees get taken one year, begin the season at low A, go up to high A, then to double A, then to triple A, hmm. and be talked about like, oh, you know, are they considering him for a September call? Junior Caminero, as you just said, Junior Caminero barely played in low A the year before, end of the season for a title-winning team, goes to high A to start the year, then double A, and then he's batting in the playoffs for the, for the Rays at the big league level. It's something where I don't think it's crazy to think that a Clark or a Jenkins could work into that discussion, especially as we start to see some of these graduations, yeah. because all they're going to have to do is show what they can do even, you know, by halfway through the season. And maybe what's, what's interesting about that conversation too, is I think seven or eight of the top 10, you would expect to graduate pretty quickly in 2024. Like all of these guys at the top are near proximity, big leaguers. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if there was a significant amount of turnover, just purely on graduation. So you're right. You, you don't have to wait too long. Everyone in the top 10, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm doing this off my head, my head but everyone in the top 10 is double A or above. Yep. And, I guess and, that, just... includes, and that includes a 17-year-old. <laughs> Which is insane. You know, but so, okay, I did want to ask, though, like bigger picture. And Jeff, we'll start with you on this. Bigger picture, I feel like that we feel really good about the top of this class as far as what this top 20 looks like after that does feel like it starts to really kind of fall off. I want to hear your answer to that, but we're going to do that right after this quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. 
I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com. And we're back. So, Jeff, when you look at the top of this class, how good is it? Like, is this a top 20 to really be excited about? Or is it like, eh, it's okay. Or it's like, just wait, because we've seen a lot better than this. Yeah, I mean, this is technically my third top 100 here that I've done. But I've obviously been doing top 100s dating back to 2015 myself. Um, I really do think the top 20 is is pretty good. But it's really balanced by the strength of the top 10. Um, I think there's some question marks that you could certainly ask with players from 11 to 25. Really the only of, of the top five pitchers that we have in this list, the only one that doesn't have a checkered medical history is Paul Skeens. Um, everybody else has been shut down with some sort of an elbow issue. Tommy John surgery in the past, whether that's like Kate Horton, um, you know, obviously Andrew Painter. Um, Jackson Job, you know, lost most of 2022 due to injury. Um, so, you know, I think there are some question marks. I do still think talent wise, it's a pretty loaded top 25. I think where we really start to see more of the greater variance is when you get down to the thirties and beyond, um, where it's, it's a real crapshoot. There's some wild cards there in terms of how you may view a player. If you're just closer in terms of coverage to a certain player you may like one guy more than someone else does so i know when we were turning in like our 150s there are players that maybe someone has or multiple people have a 150 and then somebody has like 80 um and i think there's a lot more of that this year than i can remember in previous years where it felt like the back end of the list was very there was no consensus necessarily and that kind of sets us also josh norris has joined us welcome josh and kind of wanted to ask you as well like where did this start to get a lot tougher as far as lining up players is there a demarcation a point no not not a point but like jeff is right and it's naturally true that it would start to get muddier as it goes down like this top 15 20 is pretty strong um and i i agree that there's a lot of really really talented players in that mix and some guys who I think are franchise alterers. And if you follow me, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, and some guys who I think are pretty clearly going to be uh, in the top five next year. I think they're poised to have really, really big years to be even bigger than they are. But, you know, it, it, it does follow that naturally, as you keep going down the list, there's going to be some guys you're going to hold your nose and, and, put them in the list because that's just how it goes. And the more aggressive movement of prospects in the last couple of years for, for good reason has kind of diluted the prospect pool at the beginning of each year. It's probably a good thing that we're not holding guys back, back for forever, but it does mean that we, when we do these, it's not, you know, as talent rich as it hasn't been in past years. And that's an interesting point with this, because we obviously do now have, the prospect promotion incentive, which we have seen teams get draft picks, Carlos, like that there, there are teams who have benefited the Orioles being one that it benefited the Diamondbacks being one that benefited, because if you have an elite prospect 
who wins rookie of the year, who spent, you know, enough time up in the big leagues, you, you get a reward for that. We are seeing guys being promoted a little bit more quickly, maybe because of that. Is that where the dilution comes from? Or do you think it's like that we had a, how much of it also is, is we had kind of a, maybe a top heavy draft last year, a little bit more, or, you know, where, where do you think it comes from? I think it's probably a combination of both. I think everything Josh said is is pretty spot on, but I also think that you'll just naturally get different kind of waves of talent. Some years you have a really loaded top 100 for whatever reason, a lot of hits, a lot of successes in player development. Um, and some years you don't. So I think it just kind of ebbs and flows the talent naturally. Um, I do think that in terms of player development and the acceleration of players, like a lot of that is the minor league system. I think players have access to more data. Teams have access to more data that can help training and coaching uh, and developing at the amateur ranks has probably accelerated significantly to set these players up ahead of where maybe 10, 15 years ago they were entering affiliated ball. And so if everything is quicker from when you're 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, I think it follows that you also move quicker, quicker in a more accelerated minor league system. Um, but from my perspective, I, I thought it was awesome because once you get into the thirties or so, I do think it falls off quite a bit. I think basically the tier of players is really almost the same from mid thirties, early forties or so throughout the end of the list. So I'll just caution again, like the, the actual number difference between players in that range is probably not as big uh, as the actual talent gap that we perceive. Um, but from my perspective, we have 16 draftees on the list, which I don't know if that's above average or around um, the average number for this time of year. It feels like a little more than normal, um, but maybe you could answer that with more accuracy, JJ. It so it, it does feel like that this is this is a list that tails off more than most, not more than any. Like we've had years where I would say though, I would say that this is an average top hundred overall, maybe a little bit above average because I'm always about stars. And if you if I and I will say JJ, you so the 2019 draft was always panned for the depth not being good. You always said the top is what matters, and that draft class looks pretty good right now, in large part because the top players hit. If the top players hit, you're good. And if you look at this top 10, I am not saying that everyone's going to turn out to be a star. That would be great. We root for prospects. But that said, I would be shocked if most of these players don't end up being useful big league players. Someone's going to end up being a disappointment, like probably two, because that's just the way this works. But disappointment kind of falls on a spectrum, right? Disappointment doesn't mean we had Jesus Montero one year. That's where it's like, oh, that's someone who didn't even make a big league impact of any sort. If you're talking about someone and you look back on it and you go, that player played eight years, you know, but his best season, he was on the cusp of an all-star appearance. He wasn't ever better than that. Okay, I, there probably are some players in that top 10 who will end up being that, but that's still very good. And I do think we're also going to have batting champions or home run champions or perennial all-stars and all that because this is a very nice top 10. This is a very nice top 20. And I do think what Carlos said is really useful to pay attention to, which is you get to about 38, 39, 40 on this list. And you look at how we grade them with our BA grades and all, and you look at a hundred on this list, they have the same grade. So if you're going to say, if you're going to ask the question, why is so-and-so at 88? I think he should be at 50. Or you say, why is someone at 50? I think he should be at 88. There's not that much difference there. There's more difference between those guys. There's less difference, I should say, between 50 and 100 on this list than there is between 50 and 10. And there's less really between 30 and 10. There's there's a bigger gap than there is at the back of the list when you get to 50, 60. Someone who's not on this 100 versus someone who's in the 50s. There's a smaller gap because at the top of this list, I think it's relatively consensus. And then after you get past that, it turns from consensus to very non-consensus very quickly. But Jeff, kind of along those lines that I always, we always end up talking a little bit of process on these podcasts. And here's the process thing question I have for you, which is part of our process is we put together, we talk to people in the industry, scouts, coaches, front office officials, analysts, players, all of them as we build the list. 
we then build our hundred by the work that we did for the prospect handbook, the work that lined up our top thirties and all that BA grades and all that. Then we put together individual top one fifties. We put all those together. Then we have a rough 200 really. We get then further feedback on that. Who is someone that jumped out to you when we talk to people in the industry, people who work for teams, who's someone that jumped out to you? It's like, Oh, we like so-and-so, but clearly we needed to move so-and-so up because the feedback we got was like, you might be a little light on that guy. And so our hundred now reflects that, but do know that our prelim list may have, you know, someone got a little bit of a, a rocket boost because of the feedback from the industry. Yeah. And there were a handful of guys and I thought we did a really good job in terms of our process behind the scenes of combining our feedback and kind of tallying it up to see who got the most positive feedback. Um, and there's a handful of guys, you know, in the top 50, you know, looking at someone like Jackson Job, um, Walker Jenkins got some some good feedback. Um, Jet Williams, Matt Shaw, uh, Heston Kerstad got a lot of really good feedback. He even got some late feedback that we hadn't turned in with this that uh, would have placed, uh, liked where we had Kerstad within the top 50. Um, Cole Young was another one, but I think the guys that probably take the cake for the most positive feedback was Colt Emerson. I think we got five different pieces of move up feedback on Emerson. Um, we had him fairly high to begin with, and that pushed him just to the cusp of, of the top 50. Um, another one that was within that range was Emmanuel Rodriguez, who, you know, I think is a divisive prospect depending upon what your flavor is. Um, but it seemed like front offices really value the combination of elite on base skills and double plus power that Rodriguez has with, you know, above average speed and the ability to stick in a corner outfield spot for a long period of time. Um, Chase Hampton uh, from a pitching side was someone that we got a lot of uh, positive feedback on. And I always think that's funny just because of the narratives we hear around Yankees prospects and Yankees pitching prospects. We got some really good feedback on a few of them this year. From non-Yankees officials. Let exactly. Let me from, note. All from non-Yankees officials. Um, some that were even division rivals that had some good looks on Chase Hampton and, and held him in very high regard. Um, and then Jacob Wilson was the one that I was I was a little surprised about. I'm probably lower than the group on Jacob Wilson. Um, but it did seem like our industry feedback was was higher than we even internally were on, on Jacob Wilson. Though I know Carlos is, uh, is high on Wilson and ranked him appropriately based on the feedback we got from the industry and where he ranks in this top 100. Apparently more accurately than you, Jeff. No, I don't, we obviously don't know that yet. But, uh, yeah, that's a joke. But uh, but so, Josh, uh, along your lines, what did you like going through this process? Like, who was a player who jumped out to you, you know, as far as, oh, I, I, I like that guy better than I thought, or the feedback is better than I thought, or vice versa? Well, a lot of the guys that Jeff, Jeff named were, you know, Cole Emerson. I don't think it was a surprise to hear that he was so highly regarded within the industry because he went out and ripped, you know, I was <laughs> had a moment of fear because I did the ACL top 20 and I was like, Oh, Oh goodness. Did he qualify and not, I didn't put him on, but no, he didn't. Um, but he went out and just destroyed at low a Modesto. And I think he really helped in the playoffs too. So I'm not surprised he got that kind of feedback. I was a little, you know, I do the Yankees and I was a little surprised that Chase Hampton got the, the level of love that he did because it was, it was never, it was early. It was really good. Once he got to double A, it kind of was like, all right, it's pretty good. There might be a little tail off here, but the industry really does seem to like him. Um, just looking at my personal process, I mean, I, I struggle with how to do this sometimes. Like, I do want to stay within what we've done with our 30s to make this a little easier because it's 150 names and we're not playing with all the cards that people in the industry actually are. You know, I, I see a ton of the guys. I, I bet if I bet you, we looked at this list. I've probably seen 80 of the guys on this list. Not all of them are quality looks, and I haven't seen all 200 for sure, but I have seen enough that you know, I can make some informed opinions slash uh, guesses, predictions on some. I was just looking while you guys were talking. I have Josue DePaula of the Dodgers at 40, I think, in my list. Uh, that is significantly higher than, uh, than everybody else. So... I clearly like him, and if you know who I am, you know I am a, a sucker for age and context, and I, I do love the the Latin players. And I do love guys who uh, have potentials to be all stars, and you know some guys superstars. I don't think that's really 
an outlier opinion. Everybody wants all stars, but I don't. I go for more for ceiling than for floor, if that makes sense. And the way the Dodgers treated him um, this year, with a lot of teams treated their guys this way this year, was to jump him over the ACL out of extended spring training and put him in low A, and he acquitted himself quite nicely at, at that age with that little little experience. Really, tell and in that player development system really tells me this guy might pop. And I looked down a little further down the list. Uh, Tehran Lorenzo, I'm also a big sucker for that guy in the Dodger system. So well, those are some guys that I ranked really highly that maybe didn't rank as highly on other people's list. I, I guess I'm a Dodgers homer and, and didn't know it, even though I've never been to Los well, Angeles in my life. You, you did have a really good look at Dodgers camp uh, in, in the in spring I training. sure did. I, as I think I called it about a year ago at this time, That that's the body shop. Like, that was... Um, you're not going to get too many better looks at a group of players, except maybe this next wave that's coming over, which has a potential to be even better. They're really good at what they do. They, they are. And that kind of leads, like, I, I do, when I look at this, it does jump out also that, like, yeah, I we don't just do it based off of what we see by any stretch of imagination. We talk to as many people as we can inside the industry, do a lot of reporting. We, you know, get as, gather as much data as we can. We do as much analysis as we can. But it does jump out like I'm sitting here scanning the the top 25 and I think we have in most cases multiple looks you know that on on pretty much everyone there. So I have a question. I'll start with you. I'll start with me so that you all can kind of have an answer. But I'm going to take the easy answer on this. Who on this list or who's not on this list are you most looking forward to seeing who you haven't seen in person yet? And when I say that I'm going to take the easy one. I'm taking the easy one because we do have someone on staff who's seen him, but Ben Badler is not on this uh, podcast right now. And so Padre shortstop, uh, Leo Dallas De Vries, I haven't seen him. He hadn't made it to the States yet in, uh, you know, significantly probably will in spring training, but I am looking forward to seeing him. So anyone could jump out to you, Carlos, or I'll say not on this list that you would still love to see. Yeah, this is a tough one. I think Leo DeVries is the, a really good answer. He looks exceptional. It, it's a bit trickier for me because a lot of these guys, I'm kind of handing them off to you guys and, and you're taking them and I'm going on to the next draft class. But uh, there, there are some players who have changed since I've covered them in the draft and I would be excited to see this version of them. Um I don't have a great answer right now. Okay. I don't have I'll, a great answer it, now. Kick it to someone else. Jeff, do you have someone that you're really looking forward to seeing? Yeah, Kyle Teal. I uh, didn't get an opportunity to see Teal or Roman Anthony at the end last year uh, when they were with Portland that last week. And I would imagine that uh, at worst they're going to be in Worcester, which would be even closer to me. So I'm going to get an opportunity to see both of those guys this year. I, I'm pretty excited to uh, – pretty excited to get a look on those guys you know younger players um you know i don't get as many a ball looks on uh red sox players but you know once they're in double a in that area um i see quite a bit of them so excited to see kyle teal who was another guy that we got a ton of move back feed move up feedback on and then roman anthony who probably the biggest climber i would say coming out of the 2023 season and I think I know my answer with Josh, which is, is these players are on the hundred, therefore they are known. And so they are, he has now released them to us. Uh, but Josh, is there anyone, I know that you would prefer to be scouring the backfields for the player who none of us have even heard of yet, who's going to pop, but is there anyone on the hundred or are you, you know, is the answer Jeter Martinez? You've seen Jeter. The, the answer is Jeter Martinez without question. Um, uh, when, when I go to spring training in Peoria, I'm going to be in Peoria as often as I can. When they tell me he is pitching, I'm going to be there five hours early, uh, like like an old man at the airport, just waiting for uh, the guy I'm so, so very excited to see. And I'll call my shot right now based <laughs> on what I know about him and the feedback and just some hunches. I think we're going to be talking about this guy as one of the very best pitching prospects in the sport one day. He has got everything you want to see in a young guy he has got size he has got athleticism he has got velocity that is slowly building he has got the reviews the word monster was used in the dsl <laughs> i've heard two starter on him and that's a you know 
uh, what is he, 17 now? You know, it, it really jumped at me. I remember exactly where I was. I was walking in the, the woods and I saw on my Twitter that the, the DSL Mariners had thrown a no-hitter and I thought, okay, who, who did this? And you figure it's going to be like two innings, two innings, two innings. No, this, this kid threw six, if I remember correctly. I was like, okay, you got a kid going six innings as a 17-year-old, no hit ball in the DSL. What are we doing here? And then you <laughs> look at all the factors there, contributing uh, factors, and you say, okay, there's a lot of really good pieces to this puzzle. And it kind of rang the same bells to me that Yuri Perez did when he was coming through the minors. And there's a guy who, I'm not saying it's the same player, but it's you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of really positive things. And I'll remind people, I've never been in the same room as Yuri Perez. <laughs> I've never seen him. I just kind of played some hunches that I knew. And that one turned out pretty good. I could be wrong here, but I'm going to put all my cards on the table for this young man. And if we're going to continue going down that list, I'm going to keep Henry Lalane in there. Those reviews were not rated PG-13 uh, in the FCL. Roderick Arias, uh, I think that guy's going to be the number one prospect in the system right now. And if I, if I you know, were uh, a bolder gentleman, I would have put him one in that system right now. Um, it's that kind of tool set. It's a guy who can stick his shortstop. He can put a charge into the baseball. Yeah, there are swinging miss issues some, a little bit. They're not insane, and he's very young. He needs to stay healthy, but you're talking a potential five-tooler right there. Uh, Dodgers, I'm trying to think there's another Dodgers guy I really want to see some more of. Yo, um, Andrew Vargas is on that list. Uh, Eduardo Tait with the Phillies. Starlin Cabo with the Phillies. I don't know who I'm going to see this year, but I got some guys that I want to see. I've got some <laughs> names on that list uh, that I'm ready to see in 2023. Did, did, did you see? I, I was right. Basically, the top 100, those, those have been released. <laughs> yeah, I'm, trying who, I'm trying to scroll and see who I haven't seen. It fires um, me up hearing Josh talk about these players. Um, but I, I, I'll, I'll circle back, JJ, and give you one. It's less okay. exciting than all these names uh, Josh is talking about because maybe it's a little bit more obvious. But I am really intrigued to see Chase Dolander in a full season in pro ball. The gap between Chase Dolander in 2022 at Tennessee and Chase Dolander in 2023 at Tennessee and how his stock changed throughout the spring for very, I would say, minor reasons. Like seeing what the true Chase Dolander version is, I think will be really fascinating to me. And for a team like the Rockies, who could always use a few home-developed pitchers, if he is more like the 2022 version of himself, the pitch shapes look a little bit better. I think he could rock it up this list. Um, again, more out of curiosity to seeing which version is the real one. I, I do love that we have Chase Dollander and we have Jeter Martinez, who, you know, like that that's a great Baseball America podcast to have two very interesting pitchers, two very different backgrounds. And, and I do love that that Josh is the guy he hasn't seen is the guy who has thrown less than 50 innings in the DSL and nowhere else yet. And, and that's, you know, but again, he will... That's where he will be in Peoria, set up uh, and looking forward to it. And it's not that far away now. So before we wrap this up, um, you know, we have a, a wide array of, of differences as far as number of top hundreds you've been part of, but also kind of the, the you know, the, the prospect uh, landscape. Um, I'll kind of start this by saying, like, here's the thing that struck me going through this this year. Uh, one. I'll do two. One, man, I'm old because we really are at the place where I'm just now ranking sons of players that I covered in the minors regularly. This is not like a rare occurrence now, but it's like we talked about Drew Jones and we talk about George Lombard Jr. And we talk about, you know, it. it is just now it's like, oh, yep, there's another one. Yep, there's another one. Yep, there's another one. It's just over and over and over. But the other thing that does stand out to me is I do think for as much as there is always, you know, oh, baseball is, you know, it was better in the old days, baseball, you know, whatever, you know, I look at where we are now and it's like, I love doing this. I've been doing this at Baseball America for over 20 years now and putting together a top hundred never gets old because you're always... The players keep regenerating, and I am excited to see what Jackson Churio and Jackson Holiday 
and Junior Caminero are going to do. And we've already seen a little bit of Evan Carter, but how long it will be before Wyatt Langford joins him and, and all that. And I'm going to, I'm excited to be very upset in July about the player I was too light on or too strong on and all that. But so I just kind of want to open it up before we wrap it up. Is there anything else as you went through this that like it can be, I'm, this is the free form portion of the podcast, but is there anything else, you know, just going around the room. So I'll start with you, Jeff, like anything else that stood out, like, Hey, you know, this is something else that I came to as we were doing this top hundred. Yeah, I think um, it's the value in the industry of center field defense. We go deeper into this list sometimes, and it seems like it's such a differentiating factor for a lot of players who maybe moved up into the top 100 and guys who slid down, you know, is is the ability to defend the middle of the field. Like Sedane Raffaello was a guy that we kind of got pushed on by industry sources late into the process, and I take a step back and think about it. You know, he's a he's a fairly tricky offensive profile, right? Um, he's super aggressive. He chases out of the zone, swings out of his shoes. There is some contact there. There's some twitch. He's speedy. But the, what got him onto this list is the fact that he's an outstanding center field defender. Victor Scott ranks fairly highly in this list. Um, what moved him up so much? I mean, obviously, he's a great base stealer. He can hit a little bit as well. I actually think I like his bat more than Raphael is another outstanding center field defender and got a guy like Jacob Melton who sneaks onto the list. And he's another guy that is a pretty good center field defender can defend all three outfield positions. You know um, I think that combination, when you start to find guys that can hit some and do have outstanding defensive abilities, those guys get pushed up a little bit more because they're going to get more opportunities in the big league level as well. So what about you, Los? Yeah, for me, I don't know if it's a specific demographic that I have a takeaway for, but really it's just the process um, and, and kind of reminding myself over and over again of how quickly these players really change um, and, and seeing where others on the team who I know do all the work on these players and just come to things from a different point of view, like valuing other people's opinions on players who have either seen things that you, you didn't see or have different information asymmetries or who have talked to different people in the industry uh, I always find a lot of value in that and kind of rethinking why I believe a certain thing about a player is my information or my perspective or overall picture on this player just outdated. Um, because really these lists are a snapshot in time. Development can happen so quickly. These players can change so rapidly. I mean, this happens on the draft side monthly. Um, and so there's no reason to think that it wouldn't happen yearly or um, multiple times throughout the year for the for the pro players so I, I just really like the process I mean it's a it's a more it's a bigger team involved in the top 100 than a lot of the draft lists we do obviously it's, it's a lot of the same process talking to the industry trying to um, really line up players as much as we can based on what the industry thinks of them so there's some similarities there but also I like the just seeing where everyone has has players ranked and, and challenging your own opinions on players and really trying to find out why you believe what you believe I think the process of it is just so valuable and I, I learn about a lot of these players that um, maybe I didn't know as much on prior to this. So it's it's super informative for me. I know a lot of you people listening to the podcast maybe think like, oh, you're listening to to gain information on all these players. But I get to do that every day for a job, and I think that's phenomenal. What about you? We'll bring, have you, Josh, wrap it up on this. First of all, I want to shout out the uh, information asymmetry. Uh, that's uh, Longenecker lexicon. Uh, if we're going <laughs> to – I don't know if there's going to be three people who listen to this podcast who get that, but uh, congratulations, you three. Uh, my favorite part of this process is the season, quite frankly, um, where you get to go and every so often you see it. It's It doesn't take long. It, you see something that you know that's a superstar, that there's no thought involved. It doesn't come around that often. It might not come around in, in an entire year. Uh, I was thinking back to just earlier today, like what, what the moment was that crystallized Ethan Salas for me. And that was, I saw him two games in spring training and he hit the double off Brian Wu in the first one. And it was like a gunshot. And you, you're literally, I don't know what was louder, like the ball off his bat or, the, or my neck kind of turning around to see what in the world had just happened and who was this guy just making that kind of connection off a uh, guy who's about to be in the big leagues. And it's this 17-year-old who looks 17, and he's just 
pulling balls with authority off of this guy. And the next day you see him do the same thing against a 28 year old of all people. And in that moment you go, okay, there's a superstar. There's, unless something goes terribly wrong, this is going to be a superstar player. It was Jackson Chorio in 2022 when you say take that first swing and you say that's different than everybody else on this field. And I don't think you, it might've been different than anybody I've seen in five years, uh, maybe even less than that. But I'm excited to find out who that's going to be this year. Who's going to, who, uh, Jacob Miziorowski's stuff last year. I know he got some push down on our list. There wasn't any better stuff in the minor leagues last year, period, point blank. When that guy was playing with all his cards, you couldn't touch him. I don't care if you put the best big leaguer in front of him. He would take him apart if he's putting strikes up, if he's putting the ball where he wants to. There's injury risk. There's command risk. But when everything is snapping off, good night. It's pretty, pretty easy. So that's a long way of saying we're two, three months away from finding out who that's going to be. I'll give you one more. Sebastian Walcott. Um, last year in the same trip, you know, I went to see the Rangers last because you get them to see him up here. And all the hype was on Anthony Gutierrez. And I go, okay, I'll go see him. And Walcott's playing in this game. And he takes a swing. And I turned to the guy next to me and I mouthed, holy, and you can finish that sentence. Uh, that's not a normal thing you see from a 17-year-old. And I think I said on the podcast about that time, like, he doesn't need to be in the DSL. Like, this is better than that. And he was in the DSL for all of six games. There are different reasons for that. But he came up to the ACL and crushed. And then got crushed. There's a little uh, adjustment period there. But the tools are such, and the athletic ability is such, that you just don't see it. It's outlier skills, which you are looking for in this industry. And you don't see them that often, which is, you know, the definition of an outlier. So that's a long-winded way of saying I want to find out who the next guy is because that's what gets me up in the morning. That's, that's, you know, 2012, that's Jose Fernandez. You know, that's my North star is that guy. Like I will never, ever, ever, ever see a better pitching prospect than that guy. But, you know, you're all constantly looking. So that's, let's see who that is in 2024. That I, that's a perfect way to index. I remember seeing Jose Fernandez in Greensboro, and I got to be honest, I knew he was a first rounder coming in. But I was like, okay, let's see what this guy looks like. And about four innings later, I'm like, wow. And there was a scout there. He's like, I don't know if I'll see better than that this year. And I was like, yep. And turn around, wasn't that long before he was in the big leagues. Again, when you see it, it's really fun. So that is a perfect way to wrap this up on the Baseball America Top 100 Prospects Podcast. For Jeff Ponce, for Carlos Glaza, for Josh Norris, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody. Mm -hmm.